0: If you want to begin turning in your Bibles to, we're going to be in 1 John 5, uh, starting in verse 6. As you're turning there, I'll just introduce myself. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, We're going to be in 1 John. This is our last week here as we've kind of gone through a mini-series. We've been working our way through Luke, um, but we've taken a small break for the summer and we're working our way through a few pieces of 1 John. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair back in front of you. You are welcome to, to use that. If you don't own one, take it. It is yours. We want you to have it. In addition, we're also on Uversion. If you go to events in Uversion, there's an event out there that you can kind of follow along with the uh, sermon text and points out there today as well. Um, So let's read the text for this morning um, as we get ready to hear from God's word um, and hear what he has to say to us today. So this is 1 John 5, starting in verse 6. It says this And this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, so this week we come to the end of our short series through 1 John uh, where we have looked at all the reasons why John has said he has written this letter to the church. He says um, in five different places that I write these things so that or I write these things because. And so we've looked at these over the last four weeks and, and we're moving into the end of it hoping to gain and learn from this letter from the word of God that which we truly need to know and understand so that we can come to know if we truly no God. That's what John says. Specifically, we come seeking assurance, right? Certainty. An unwavering, um, assurance in who Jesus Christ is in the gospel that we are Christians. We've been seeking a finality and a confidence in which we can place our lives because at the end of the day, no one truly wants to live a life of wondering. No one really wants, no one likes not knowing what's going to happen, right? There's a reason we have locks on our doors and we don't willingly walk down a dark alley. Um, we want to be assured of safety. We don't want to be in danger, right? Um, we have things like the news and education because we want to make sure that we know what is happening in the world and, and make sure that we know what we need to do to live um, in a beneficial way or or in a way that is uh, helpful in our life in our community with the people that we know we we seek out friends and relationships and we cling closely to to family because we want to know without a doubt that we are loved and likable we want assurance that that people think well of us that they love us We all desire some assurance, right? We desire this kind of certainty. We want to know, and and really the more important or the more critical the issue that's at hand, the more we demand a level of certainty. Um, Even me, I'm not a planner um, or an organizer in any kind of way. Just ask my wife. Not me at all. But even I desire and want to know a level of certainty um, with what's going to happen with my life. I want some assurance that what i 'm doing today matters that it has some kind of significance that what I do today or in a year or in five years or in twenty years matters I want some surety and assurance in that fact or maybe you uh, you know you want an assurance of a job we want an assurance of a job that so we can make sure that ourselves and our families are, are provided for and taken care of. We find that important. Or we want to know when we go to the doctor what our health is like, right? Or what the health of those we love is like. Because um, we want assurance and certainty that they're not going to die. Or they're going to be in pain. We want to know what's going on in our bodies. And we find that massively important. And so we want surety. And if we want surety for those things, how much more should we desire a certainty and assurance for the things that aren't just of this world, but that are eternal, that have an impact, not just here and now, but for eternity. This body, my money, the things I own, the things I have, they will pass away. They will die. They will fade. They will wither. That is what time has proven. The things of this world are not something we can have assurance in because they will die. But our souls, God says those will live forever. Eternity is, is an assurance for us. We will exist for eternity no matter who we are. But one eternity for a person leads to everlasting joy and intimacy with our Creator, with our Savior, with our God, our Father, while the other eternity is an everlasting death filled with the torments and the realities of hell and separation from God forever. One is a place of unceasing rest and love and happiness while the other is filled with a fire that the scripture says that never goes out, and a worm that Jesus promises will continue to feast upon our dying bodies. And recognize that these promises are for eternity. Take just a moment and and try in the best way you can to fathom the time frame eternity tries to grasp into a word. It's unfathomable. It is well beyond our comprehension. It is massive and great. It's, it's the reality that we would never not know one of these two things. That's what eternity promises us. We will either always know for all of eternity love and intimacy and joy with the Father, never not knowing that. Or we will live for eternity never not knowing hell never not knowing suffering and death, never not knowing separation from God forever, for eternity. This means assurance of salvation of our eternal life is of utmost importance because it brings with it eternity. And this is where John brings us finally today. Uh, For four weeks, John has shown us different reasons why he has written this letter to the church. And today, in chapter 5, we come to John's final reason. His final reason for writing this letter. And where his gospel that he wrote, he ends with saying, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Today, he says that he is writing these things to those who do believe, that they might be absolutely, completely, and utterly assured that their belief has granted them eternal life. He says there in verse 13, right? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this isn't some kind of flimsy or wishy-washy assurance that changes um, with every wind that blows, every circumstance that comes up. But when John says that he's writing these things that you may know, that word there in the Greek for know speaks of a current and a perfect and continuing knowledge. It means that you don't just believe and know and have certainty now and perfection and a perfect understanding of that, but it continues from now until eternity. He has written these things that we may know without a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life. That's why he has written these things. And recognize there that, that John's issue is not whether we believe in Jesus or not. That seems to be an assumption in verse 13, right? He's writing these to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's, that's an assumption there. But the issue there is assurance of eternal life, assurance of salvation to God, assurance of eternity full of joy in the presence of our Creator. And, and what that means then is the issue is Jesus, the problem that, that this church may be having at this moment that John wants to make sure they understand is Jesus, the gospel that John has been writing about. He, he says that which was from the beginning, the life and the work of Jesus Christ. This is what's in question today. Is Jesus, this God man, this one who claims to be the son of God, actually the one that can with unwavering resolve, be the one in whom we can put our trust in to give us eternal life. Jesus is the issue. And John is saying here in these verses that he is. You can have assurance that Jesus is the one. Christians, we have rock-solid assurance in our salvation because our faith is in Jesus Christ. That's what John is telling us this morning. And for proof of this, John walks us... um, Think of a courtroom. He walks us into a courtroom and he brings to the stand four testimonies. Uh, word testimony is used over and over again in these verses, right? He brings to the stand four testimonies to prove to us the sufficiency of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ for salvation. And he begins first with the life and the death of Jesus himself. See there in verse 6, if you'll look there with me, it says this starting in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. He's talking of testimonies, right? So first off, John begins with the testimony of what he refers to as the water and the blood. And he's speaking here specifically of the baptism and the death of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a a lot of controversy. I'll just be honest about what that means, the water and the blood, as you come to that in commentaries and you read about it. Um, But there's an overwhelming majority that agree. The water and the blood are referring to the, the baptism and the death of Jesus And and what's happened is these antichrists, these men and women that John referred to, we talked about them last week, have denied the full divinity of Jesus, that he was not the God-man in their teachings. They suppose that Jesus was a man, but just a human, born to Mary and Joseph, and and he became the Christ after his baptism. So he's talking about the water only, right? They, They think that he became the Christ as the Spirit descended upon him at his baptism. But then the spirit, they believe, then left him before his death. And so he died a human death. But, but John here is stating that, that there's actually this continuity. There's something that connects the water and the blood. Something that has to be there with both of them in order for Jesus to be the Christ. Jesus proved himself to be the Christ, he says, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The whole of Jesus' life from his conception in Mary by the Spirit of God to his baptism by John the Baptist where the, the Spirit then descended upon him to a gruesome undeserved death upon a Roman cross to a resurrection in glory must stand as a testimony for us as to the divinity and the work of Jesus the Christ or we lose it all. If any of these things do not stand and prove to us that Jesus is the Christ then we lose every single one of them. Recognize the more, this morning the immensity of these two testimonies that must stand together as one. In our sin, in our sin, we have no hope of ever coming into the presence of a holy God, right? God, our God is light, John says at the beginning of his letter. Our God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so, we cannot in our sin and darkness approach the presence of a holy God. We need atonement, atonement, right? We need somebody to bring us together that we may know him intimately. And so, Jesus' blood shed on our behalf, it paid the death penalty that the capital J judge, God of the universe, has sentenced upon our hearts. Because Romans 6 tells us, and we heard it even in the garden when God tells Adam and Eve that if they ate of the apple, they would die. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. This is the the sentence that's been placed upon our hearts because we are sinners. And the judge has made that so. But because of Jesus' death, he took the death penalty, he took the sentence for our life upon the cross, we now stand justified before God. That's what that word justification is referring to. We are no longer guilty, that penalty has been paid and we stand now justified before God. But more than that, the perfect life of Christ, the the Messiah, the anointed one, this God man, he he lived by the power of the spirit and he lived perfectly and that now stands in our place. If if not for this imputation or this transfer of Jesus' righteousness into our place as well, then Christ would have to die again and again every single time we sinned. Take, take a bank account, for instance. It's not just that God took a negative balance and brought us to zero, but he put us in the positive for eternity. If he just brought us to zero, every time we sin, we would go back into the negative and it would require Christ to die, another sacrifice to come so that we could be in right standing with God. But he didn't just do that. He gave us Christ's perfect life, his righteousness that we might stand now forever in front of a holy God, never having to be afraid of coming to his presence, his holy presence again. This God of light now sees us as light because Jesus' righteousness has been placed upon us. If Jesus isn't divine, we no longer have a perfect savior capable of the righteousness needed to approach God. But if Jesus wasn't also human, he could not have died and so paid the penalty for a man's sin. Men's sin. Both of these must stand in our place. Both of these must testify. Both must be proclaimed or we have lost the certainty and assurance of our eternal life with God. And in the water, in the blood, we have heard this testimony. Christians find assurance that cannot be shaken in the life and the death of Jesus Christ, right? Christians, we have a rock-solid assurance in our salvation because the life and the death of Christ have justified us before the judge, and given us a righteousness to approach his holy presence. It's an awesome testimony that stands before the judge on our behalf. Uh, I love the way that the writer of Hebrews talks about this. It's in Hebrews 12, uh, chapter, chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And he's contrasting us who want to come into the presence of God with those of the Israelites who desired to be in the presence of God, to come and seek after him after they left Egypt. And they they came to this mountain, right, where, where the law was given to them that they might know how to live with a holy God. And it says in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18, "...for you have not come to what may be touched." a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message messages may be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, Christian, you have come to Mount Zion. Both we and the people of Israel have desired to come into the presence of God, and both of us have been unable in our own power to approach and even touch the mountain that God's presence has descended upon. For His holiness and the power of God is terrifying. So terrible, in fact, that Moses says that He, He trembled, right? At, at His word, at His voice. It's His holiness. God's holiness is unyielding. This is the nature of our God. And so we needed a mediator. We needed somebody to intercede for us because we could not even touch the mountain or we would be killed. We could not come to God or we would be killed because of his holiness this morning. And so Moses, as the interceder and the, the, the intermediary for the people of Israel, ascended the mountain. Right, he came. He went up to the mountain to God and he brought down the law. A covenant with God and man that all might know how we are to live in light of this holy God. That we might be his people and he would be our God. That's what we truly desired. But from this law, all we all found out that they could not still come to God without the death or the sacrifice of something. Blood had to be shed. The perfect and the innocent and the spotless lamb had to be killed or we still could not come before God. Sacrifice was Necessary. For us to come into his holy presence. In the same way though. Now Jesus. Our mediator. He walked up a mountain called Golgotha. But instead of bringing us the law. And the need for sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. And as he descended the mountain. By the means of his death. He brought down for all of us. Payment for all time. He brought fulfillment to the law and total. He ushered in a new covenant, a covenant bought and founded in his blood that any might, that who might claim that Jesus' blood was shed on their behalf could be part of the people of God forever, and he would be their God and they would be his people, not based upon their own actions, but upon Jesus Christ and his blood and what he has done. Jesus brought down from that mountain salvation. And where the blood of Abel called up from the ground to God of the sin of his brother Cain, the blood of Christ, it says here, speaks a better word for us, his brothers and his sisters. This is the word of salvation, the word of atonement, that we might now come into the presence of the holy God. We can now approach Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and we can touch it. And we can be near to him and we can know him and see him as he is because of Jesus' blood this morning. We never again have to fear as we approach the holiest of holies because no longer is our righteousness based upon our obedience or our abstinence from sin but in the blood and the righteousness of Jesus the Christ we can now with his blood and his life with confidence approach the throne and with assurance we can boldly claim eternal life and salvation as our own because Jesus came to bring that for us. The water and the blood have testified to this. We have assurance in who Jesus is because of what he has bought with us by his blood and his life. And this is not just the testimony of the water and the blood that agree to this, but the Spirit agrees as well. It says there at the end of verse 6 that the Spirit of truth testifies to Jesus as the Christ. From before Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit was at work conceiving Jesus in the womb of Mary, and then throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, we see recorded in the Gospels and uh, the accounts of Christ's life that the Spirit was at work, right? He was uh, proving, as we talked about last week, by working and moving in him that Jesus was the one who was prophesied about in Isaiah 61 the messiah the anointed one of god whom he would anoint with his spirit it says this about the messiah and what the spirit would do in his life in Isaiah 61 it says the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. The spirit descended upon Jesus Christ that he might make make us, it says, oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. This is what the promise of the spirit shows us. And as a promise, the same Spirit would then anoint those that followed Jesus, the oaks of righteousness, to teach them all that they needed to know and to remember about what he taught and how he lived. This is what the promised Spirit said he was coming to do, to teach us about Jesus, to remember all that he taught. And then at Pentecost, in fulfillment of this promise, the Spirit fell upon those waiting and praying like tongues of fire, access. And in the power of this spirit of truth, they began to testify to the gospel of who? Of of Jesus, the Christ. Not any other man. The spirit came and filled them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the Christ. The Son of God, both in word, in their preaching, and in writing, in the scriptures that we have. Speaking and writing of the life of, and death of Jesus. Testifying in agreement by the Spirit with the water and the blood. The three agree. Then as the truth was spread, many heard this testimony. And by the power of this same Spirit, it says in Acts 2, as Peter preached about Jesus Christ, they were cut to the heart. And despite everything that might keep them from believing, because their government was against them, their people were against them, their family and their friends, everything about a man raising from the dead just sounds crazy. Everything that might stand in opposition to them believing, the Spirit still testified to this being so true that they believed. And the Holy Spirit then descended upon them. Christians, this morning, by the testimony of this Spirit, we have rock-solid assurance in our salvation because the Spirit of truth has fulfilled His promise and continues to speak to our hearts today. He has fulfilled His promise to anoint the Holy One, and it was Jesus. And this testimony of the Spirit speaks to continuing fulfillment of this promise like a boulder that continues to gain speed and momentum as it tumbles down a hill, so the death of Jesus has propelled forward the truthfulness of his work by the fulfillment and the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies that Jesus is the Christ, but the testimonies don't just end there um, with two members of the Trinity, because that's just not enough for John, Um, but then he brings to the stand the Father To give testimony in verse 9, he says this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. John says, you've been hearing the testimony of men and hearing from them and understanding what the Christ is, how, how it is we're to find eternal life. You've heard these people come in and say it's different than what you've known. And, and if you count man's witness and their testimony as having some value, how much more must the value of the testimony and the words of God Almighty have for our life? Multiple times within the Gospels, the writer's account of when the the heavens opened up and God the Father spoke and said, this Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It happens at his baptism, right? And it happens at the the Mount of Transfiguration. and, and, And at the Mount, he goes even further and he tells the disciples, listen to him. Not only is he my son, but he has come to do my work. Listen to him. He has come to teach you about what my will is, about what I've come to do for you, what I desire for you. Listen to my son. And then then go beyond that. God has been telling us of who the Christ would be, right, by the mouths of prophets for thousands of years prior to this moment, God said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, right? He would be born of a virgin in the line of King David from the tribe of Judah. He would speak as a prophet the words of God. And in a particularly clear way, um, speaking of the Messiah and who he would be, thousands of years prior to who, when, when Christ was even born, Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah as the mouthpiece of God, saying this about the life of the Messiah in Messiah, and, and Isaiah chapter 53. May i ask you just for a moment just to, to consider and think on these words as I read them. Nobody knew this was Jesus when he was proclaiming this, but understand and, and think about who it is speaking of. It says this starting in verse 1, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has, to put, him to, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Thousands of years prior, as if to wipe away all doubts about who the Messiah is, God told us of what his life would look like, and as we inspect the life of Jesus, I think there can be no doubt that this was speaking of him. As you hear those words, it's speaking of Christ. This Jesus is the one who God, the creator of the ends of the world, who spoke all into existence, who finds nothing too hard for him, who is perfect and who's perfect, Plans have never gone astray. Jesus is a one who this God has promised to us. Christians, we can and should have unshakable assurance in our salvation through Jesus because he has fulfilled the plans and the promises of the Father for us. Do you see the magnificence of all that Jesus has done to prove himself to be the Messiah? John has said, look, in testimony you can see that God worked presently in the life and the death of Jesus to prove he was the Christ. He is working and in still into the future through his spirit to prove to us that Jesus is the Christ. And all of this is according to the plan that God had set before the foundations of the world before time began about who is going to be the Messiah, the Christ come to save his people from their sins. God has in every way and every setting worked to give us full assurance of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and through him we can find salvation and eternal life. Jesus has won it for us. He has like a, a great map left us no doubt by showing us very clearly the ways and the paths in which we are to walk, that the blessings of God, that His promises of eternal life might come to us. And He's shown us at the same time the pitfalls and the cliffs and the, the uh, dangerous paths that we may walk that would lead us away from that which He's trying to get us to. And the map is all pointing us to Jesus, the treasure. The one in whom we can find something far greater than the things and treasures of this world that we might imagine. Something that will exceed all of our hopes and our joys and our dreams. Everything we could ever desire. Jesus is much greater than that and God is pointing us to this treasure in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has come to save us. We just must go to him. He has given us everything we need to not doubt that Jesus is this one who can and will save us. John says all that matters is will we believe? Will we trust in this plan, in this thing that God has set before the foundation of the world or do we desire to follow another? And this brings us to the the final testimonies in John's court. This is really your testimony, my testimony that God or that John is bringing to the stand. Verse 10 Um, It speaks of the testimonies of those that believe in the Son and those that don't. Those that believe that Jesus is the Christ and those that don't. And those that that, uh, claim that the testimony, that don't believe in the testimony of God, says that they name him a liar. They call God's testimony a lie. But those that do believe, says there that the testimony of God resides in them, Right? Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. For those that believe, the testimony and grace of God do not just provide assurance in the form of words or truth alone just for our n- head and knowledge to, to understand, but it's actually born out in the life of the believer. It, it changes us. What, what the testimony of God does is it changes our minds and our actions and our beliefs and our heart. For those that believe, as we have looked on the last few weeks, John says that we have a complete joy. This is what happens we have complete joy and we don't walk in sin, but instead we walk in obedience. And this belief that they have about Jesus causes them then to persevere. To make it to the end, they're not swayed or tossed about by every wave of doctrine, but they stand firm upon the truth of the gospel. This is what the testimony of God does. It is not a stagnant truth for us to just know, but it is a moving and a transforming reality that bears the marks of the grace and the power of God in our lives. Christians have an unshakable assurance in our salvation because it is already in the process of saving them today. We trust and believe not just because we know the truth, but we see it actually already beginning to change our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we live, and how we act. This is what the testimony of God does in us. The question is this morning, do you see God's testimony bearing its fruit in your life? And maybe not yesterday or last week or last month. Lord knows I needed to confess this morning just minutes after I woke up. I'm not saying we've we've got it all figured out this morning, but think back a year ago. Has your life changed? Upon believing in the testimony that Jesus is a Christ, has your life changed? Maybe the sins that um, you constantly have found that you struggle with, that you find yourself beset with, that you can't seem to get rid of, that cling to your soul. Maybe you find today they don't have quite the same grip. It's easier to Resist the temptation. It's easier to see the truth and the lie in those moments. Or, or uh, maybe uh, the, the truths and the promises of Scripture um, that you heard that were difficult to believe and understand and, and just fathom, today you find them clear and understood. It's easier to come to the Word of God and believe what it is that He's said to us. Maybe today you find that you love others differently. You love them selflessly like you never have before. The love that doesn't seem to come from you, but from Jesus. Or maybe you find it easier just to talk with others about Christ and what he is doing in this world. I just want to tell you this morning, this is proof of God's testimony in you. That you have believed in Jesus as the Christ and through this, God is trying to give you assurance that Jesus has saved you by already doing the work in you. We've talked about every week the eternal life promised is not an eternal life that's just to be known up after our death. It's an eternal life that we get to experience and know now. He's showing us that we are saved and we have this life because we get to see pieces and parts of it today. Today. We get to know in part and see in part what it's like to live this eternal life today. That is assurance that you have believed in the right Christ, the right Messiah, and it is Jesus. God is assuring us that he has saved us by working in us today. So out of this, I really just have two application points, and each of these are for a specific person. For you who believe today, who come and know that you have placed your faith in Jesus as the Christ, who come and say, I I am a Christian, but you're struggling this morning with doubt and uncertainty. You come this morning not sure of where you stand. I want to just call you, as John did, to look upon the testimonies given. Look at the life and the death of Jesus. See the testimony of the water and the blood. Look at the the testimony and the work of the Spirit. Listen to the plan and the power of the Father and consider this morning the testimony of your own life, the grace that you have seen working and moving in your life today. Recognize and celebrate this morning the amazing beauty and truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. Not another Savior, not another person, but Jesus alone and revel in the truths and grace of his work and his power. Consider what he has done for you today. Consider the greatness of your sin. Don't don't just ignore it, recognize it for what it is. But in the same moment, recognize the the immensity of His grace and His love towards us to forgive us of that sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Read the Word of God and, and see God's consistent faithfulness to save His people despite their sins and shortcomings. Think in your own life of all of the blessings that God has poured out upon your soul. And as you think, worship Worship and celebrate these things. Let them assure you of God's great love for you. Let them assure you of his plan and his power to save you to the uttermost. And be assured this morning, brother and sister in Christ, in the truth and the grace that God has saved you. Not because of anything you or I have done, but because of what Jesus did because of who he is, what he did, what he promises to do, and in all the ways he's fulfilling his promises. Be assured this morning. There in verse 11, it says this. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son, Jesus. Look this morning, brother and sister, at the cross. You who doubt, me who doubts, who has uncertainties, we must look at the cross with both eyes and the empty tomb and we will be assured you have been given life, it says. Life in his son, life in Jesus the Christ and it will be spent forever in the presence of our loving father. That is the eternity promised to us. But secondly, for you who are here today and may not believe, i just ask you for a moment to, to honestly, and I'm praying in this moment that the Spirit would give you ears to hear today the final words of John in verse 12 because they come with a lot of weight. They are a serious word to consider this morning. For you who do not believe, hear this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The question he is posing today is: Do you have the Son, Jesus the Christ? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, based on the testimony of your own life and heart, do you see the testimony of God in yourself this morning? If not, then I, today, I, I'm I'm begging you, come and believe. Do not let this moment pass you by. Come and believe. Receive the testimony of God in Jesus and by the power of the Spirit be given life today because if you don't, you will not have life. That's what John says. You will not have life. You will never know complete and satisfying joy, but you will instead wander from person to person, seeking it in things like love and sex and relationships. Maybe this morning you're seeking it in the things of this world, in family and in friends and in a a good job and in possessions. Maybe you're seeking to fill that assurance that you need with those things. I want you to know this morning, no matter what it is, it will never fill the gap. It will never fill the void of your soul. The life that you are seeking is not found in the things of this world. Your soul will be left searching because life is only found, John says, in the Son, in Jesus Do not let the wrath of God remain on you today. John says in his gospel that if we believe in a very similar word, if we believe in the Son, we have life. But if we do not believe in the Son of God, we will not have life. But the wrath of God will remain upon us. I just want you to know this morning, I do not care God does not care. The men and women in this room who love Jesus, we do not care if you have said you were a Christian your whole life or if you have run in rebellion, discrediting, disowning anything about God. If you have gone to church and done the churchy thing, read your Bible, prayed your prayers, done all the moral things, or if you have lived a life of A hellion, he does not care, we do not care. If you do not have the Son, you will not have life. That is the issue this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And if you do not, the wrath of God will remain upon you for all of eternity. The issue this morning is Jesus. He is the dividing issue. He is the dividing person to not this morning leave having not thought about that, considering that in your heart and your soul. Believe in him today. Really, that's all I'm saying in both of these application points. Come to Jesus today and believe. And as you believe that Jesus is a Christ, you will find assurance. You will find certainty. You will find finality. The thing you have been searching for for all of your life. You will find it for the first time maybe. Or you will find it again renewed in your soul. John says he has written these things that we may know that we have eternal life. So the question this morning is this. Do you? Have you believed in Jesus Christ Jesus, the Christ, this morning. Do you have eternal life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we just come into your presence this morning because of the testimony of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. We pray this morning by the power of the Spirit because he has come in fulfillment of the promise. We come this morning asking that your plans and your will might be fulfilled in our lives and in this world because Jesus has come to save us from our sin and if we do not come and believe in Jesus, your wrath will remain upon us. We ask this morning, I ask this morning for for my own heart, just for greater belief and faith in this, this is the work of God to believe in him whom you have sent. Help me to believe this morning. Help us to believe this morning. If there's any here, Father, that do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I ask this morning that you would grant them life, that you would open their ears to hear and their eyes to see that Jesus has come to save them and they need salvation. For those of us this morning that are struggling through doubt and uncertainty, would you come, Holy Spirit, and testify to our hearts of your work and of your love for us in Jesus and and your blessings you've poured out for us. Assure us that you love us. Forgive us for our sin of doubting you. Give us greater faith. Work and move, I pray. It's in Jesus' name, amen.